Last night we had our key leaders at King's Centre and one of the things, um, Andy and Anwen took that time to share with us what was on their heart. It was their last key leaders with us. And um, one of the things Andy talked about was he wished whilst he'd been here this last eight, nine years that he'd done a bit more conflict. That's quite an odd thing, isn't it, to say, I wish I'd done a bit more conflict. But I think because sometimes as Christians, we shy away from conflict. In fact, I think as a society, we find conflict quite unsettling. But the reality is, we, each one of us experience conflict with other people all the time. And our tendency could be either to hide away from it or to face up to it and learn how to do it God's way. I think that's probably what Andy was talking about, learning to do and actually doing conflict God's way. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time thinking about this, that this morning. So would you turn to Acts chapter 6, if you would. <clears throat> We're just going to read a few verses um, from the story of the church after Jesus had left and the things that happened during that time. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread, and the number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I think the first thing that really struck me about this was the context of this little episode of conflict in the church. One of the first things is that God isn't shy about putting a story of conflict in the Bible for us all to see. It's like, we may think that conflict is this thing we don't really want to talk about, but God is like, it's real, it happens. So here it is, slap bang, in the word of God. And the context of that was a growing, thriving church. So it wasn't a church that was in decline or anything like that. It was a church that was really thriving and growing. And this church at that time had this and a mishmash of people in it. So there were people who were servants, there were slaves, there were people who were, you know, quite high up in society, there were Jews, there, were, there weren't yet that many Gentiles because 
these people were all still in Jerusalem. But there was this whole mix of people, different personalities, just like us, just different people all together in one church. And it's interesting to know that some of the passages before that you had in like um, Acts 2 where it had talked about how they lived together and had all things in common. So it's not that there were people who weren't used to living and loving one another passionately with their gifts. They were a radical community. They already knew what it meant to be passionate about serving one another, loving one another. So the Bible says that there was no one with lack among them. They knew what it was like to say, oh, if you had a need, we'll come and support you. So I don't want us to see this as a church where, you know, things were really hard. It was a really thriving church. And in the midst of that thriving church, there were these two groups of people. There were Jews, but there were Hellenists, and there were Hebraic Jews. And I guess if you read that, I hope you haven't skipped over that. I've skipped over it many, many years. And then you stop and think, actually, what does that mean? Who are Hellenist Jews and who are Hebraic Jews? And the best way I can describe it is in the Roman Empire at that time, the uh, Hebraic Jews were the Jews who remained in Jerusalem when the Romans came. Because the way that the Romans conquered was they would come, if they conquered your, your nation, they would spread you around the Roman Empire so that you kind of broke your backbone of feeling that you were one nation. So that's what they did. They spread them all over the Roman Empire. So those who'd spread out and lived in other places came back. They were like the, um, how do you call them? The people who had lived abroad, if you like. You know that feeling that people who've kind of lived in, I know, Australia and so on, they come back and they're like, yeah, I can bring something that you haven't got, you know. I've lived in, I know, Hawaii or something, you know. I'm hip, that kind of thing. And then the others were people who'd only lived all their lives in Jerusalem. A bit like, uh, my husband works in um, Barnsley, and if anybody's from Barnsley, my apologies. <laughs> and he's, uh, it's, he says that in, in, in Barnsley, a lot of people in Barnsley actually think coming to Sheffield is amazing, it's a, it's a great expe- ex- adventure. Talk less of going to London, it's like, wow. You know, how many people from Barnsley have been to London? I'm sorry if you're listening to this online and you're from Barnsley, forgive me. <laughs> Okay, so it's a bit like that. So the, um, the Hellenistic Jews came back and they'd been those who kind of had lived abroad and then those who were the, the Hebraic Jews had been in Jerusalem. But they also felt quite superior in a sense because they were the ones who stayed where the temple was. They were the ones who had mixed with all of these other people over there who weren't really people of faith, you know. So that tension was there. God isn't afraid of tension. It's real, so we get to accept that that's real. A healthy relationship, a healthy church, a healthy community is not a community without conflict. A healthy community is a community who knows how to do conflict well. That's a huge difference. We know how to do, we learn how to deal, how to do conflict well. And the thing is that it doesn't come natural to us. Some of us are brought up in families where actually speaking about conflict is really hard. I remember when Adi and I used to do marriage course here at, um, at NCS, we would do marriage course with some couples and they would say, when I was brought up in my family, we just never, ever argued. Can you imagine that? I don't come from that kind of family. <laughs> 
We just never argued. And then there was this friend of mine who was in King Center who is from a family like that. And then she married someone who absolutely in their family, they had it out on every issue. It was like, if we have a disagreement, I'm sorry, we're going to know about it. And we're going to talk about it. So can you imagine those two coming together? It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> and we had them do the conflict session sometimes when we did our marriage course, which was really fun. Um, so there is a healthy way. The first thing about conflict, to do conflict in a healthy way, is to learn how to speak up. To learn how to speak up well. So there are many ways to speak up. There is the not speak up at all, which those who don't like to do conflict, that's how they speak up. It's like, I'm going to be a hedgehog. Have you heard that expression? And we roll myself up into a ball and you will know that I'm unhappy, but only because my bristles are sticking out. I'm not saying anything to you, but you can tell my bristles are speak, sticking out. So that's one way of not, of doing conflict and not doing it well, is to curl up in a ball and everybody around you will be wondering, what's wrong with them? And they're all tiptoeing around you because you're not saying anything, but you're wrapped up in this hedgehog position. The other way to do it is that rhino way that says, I'm a rhino. You will know about it. You know, you're going to know that I'm not, I'm not happy. That's another way to speak up. But there is a better way to speak up. And the better way to speak up is what the Bible talks about, speaking the truth in love. I'm unhappy, but I'm coming in humility because love is humble. And I want to show you what it is that has happened between you and I and how that has made me feel. Sadly, I'm not quite sure that that's what happened in this passage we read because it feels to me like that the way they did it was they were complaining. So the picture I get is, in fact, some of the translations talks about there was murmuring amongst them. That's not healthy. You know, being in a church where there's whispering going and murmuring going on. But the great thing about the, the 12, the apostles, is when they heard that murmuring, they weren't defensive. They didn't say... Because what, these, what the Hellenist Jews were talking about was real. Their widows were being neglected. And in a, in a place where we've already read that the church was amazing, you know, there, were, there was a lot of love amongst them, they were serving one another with all their goods, it must have felt really horrible for them to find that their widows were neglected. What the apostles did was they didn't, um, they didn't ignore that. They didn't become defensive as well. Because it's easy to be defensive and say, oh, well, you know, we've got all this going on. Why, how do you think that we're going to manage this as well? They were honest about it. And they call the assembly of the people of God together and say, there is an issue here. Let's deal with it. How we speak up matters. Whatever we've learned, we can learn a new way of speaking up when there is conflict. And that new way says... I love how Jesus put it in Matthew 18. It says, if, you're, if you have something between you and your brother or your sister, the first thing you should do is go and show them what's gone wrong. And I love the way it says show them because sometimes you can tell it, but until you show it, until they get it. So it's not like, oh, look what happened to us yesterday. It's like, show them this is what happened. Explain it. Let them understand what it is. Of course, some people, even when you've done that, they don't want to have that resolution with you. And Jesus is so wise. He knows that that will happen. So he says, if you show it to them and they get it, 
excellent. You and your brother have been reconciled. You and your sister, you've been reconciled. That's great. But then it says, if they don't get it, many of us stop there. It's like, I've gone and talked to them. Well, they still didn't get it. They're still in a bit of a huff and a puff. And we leave it like that. That's it. But Jesus didn't say that. He says, when you've done that step, if they don't get it, then, and only then, is when you should go and tell somebody else. Because the other thing we tend to do is to do what, what's happening in this church where we kind of talk to somebody else first, you know. Do you know what happened when I spoke to someone? And I've done that before. And it's really blessed me when I've done it. And somebody said to me, actually, Nika, go and talk to them first. Because that's the scriptural way to do it. Not to tell somebody else, but to go and tell the person with whom you have that beef. And that's the right recommendation Jesus gave. When you've done that and they don't get it, then go and bring somebody else who is wise and come alongside you to go and talk to this person. How many of us have ever done that before? Do we just stop at that first hurdle and say, I've done my bit, I've asked them, and they didn't see what it was. I have done that second step before as well, at least on two occasions in my life. I've brought somebody else alongside me to go with me and say, I think there's something not quite right here. Can we talk about it? I've talked to you about it. You haven't listened or we felt like you didn't, we didn't, you didn't get what I was saying. Let somebody else come. And the great thing about somebody else being there, it's really not an easy thing to do, I can tell you. But the great thing about somebody else being there is immediately that other person kind of recognizes this has gone up a gear. And they tend at that point to be willing to listen. And then the third person that's there can be like a real good um, mediator between the two of you and can help you say, well, well, actually what they're saying is da, 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 da. Or what I think they're trying to tell you is, do you, know, do you see what I'm saying? And that's a real good, healthy way rather than to walk away and kind of feel that, well, that's it now, I've tried. It's a really healthy way to deal with conflict in the church. And occasionally, thank God I've never had that experience, this third bit, because usually when it's happened the twice that it's happened with me and I've brought somebody along, it's been resolved. But if even you've done that step and it isn't resolved, there's still one more step, Jesus said, then go to the church. Go to whether that represents the leadership of the church or I would assume that that's what it would mean. I would deal with it like the leadership of the church. Tell them, this is what's going on between myself and this person. I think what Jesus is trying to show us with that method, that, those three-step program, is that resolving conflict is so important because living in unity, living in oneness is so important. We would want you, I would love you to do all these steps to get there. And in fact, what the Bible says about, about the whole process is reconciliation is what God is after. That we be reconciled with one another. That there be no chisms between us. There'll be a, a, a community of people where we live together in oneness. And that whatever it will take for us to get there, we do it. The Bible says, as much as lies within you, live at peace with one another. Live at peace with one another. Now, the thing with this story is that the, um, the apostles weren't defensive. But I also think that there's something that they did for me that I felt was really good for us to learn from them. Sometimes when we have that conflict and, and somebody comes to us, we listen and we say, oh, all right. oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm really sorry. And you kind of just 
patch it up and that's it. But they didn't do that. They didn't just do the patching up. Because it's easy if, if, if it were me, I might have said, oh, I'm so sorry we neglected uh, you know, the, the Hellenistic Jews. I'm really sorry about that. I think what we're going to do is we'll try better. We'll try harder. They didn't do that. They took it back to the bare bones and said, well, actually, in, in this context, we've been called by God to minister the word and to pray. And it feels like doing this thing is way too much of a stretch for us. So they took it right back to the bones and made a decision that was really healthy. And the decision was, right, we're not going to be doing this anymore. We're going to delegate this to other people to do. I feel that sometimes when it comes to the thing about resolving a conflict, we, we kind of stick a plaster on it sometimes because we don't want to go through the real nitty-gritty of engaging with what this person has said. How would it affect me? What change does it require of me so that we can step forward? And the next time we hit this, we know we've had a real good go at resolving it. Does that make sense? That we actually go beyond the, yeah, I'm really sorry about this. Because it's, when we do the, I'm really sorry about this, it's like we don't really want to face it. We just want to stick a plaster in it and move on. But actually what God wants from us is this really good example of actually stop and think, why did this happen? It's an amazing thing to do in friendship relationships, in marriage, you know, in communities. Why did this happen? Is there a way we can resolve this to make sure it doesn't happen again? And with Adi and myself, one of the things we've also found out, I'm awful at resolving conflicts at night because I'm not a night person. If you want to talk to me about anything serious, don't try doing it anytime after like nine o'clock or something. Cause, you know, but try it at 6 a.m. I'm up for that. <laughs> but I don't guess you'll be up for that. But I'm really up for it at 6 a.m. because I'm a morning person. So simple things like that, just knowing how to resolve conflict well. So we don't have a go at resolving conflict at that time. And we don't try it at 6 a.m. either because I'm up for it, but I is not a morning person. So we find something that's really helpful for both of us, which is more like in the evening, not at night, but in the evening. So re deciding that when we want to, when people bring conflict to us, we take it right back to how can we make this work better? How can we make sure that going forward, we're not hitting this again, but we're already finding a, a, a new platform on which to launch our relationship? Does that make sense? So I guess my challenge to us this morning is, where is it that you've been shying away from conflict? Actually, it's a healthy thing. Are you a rhino or are you a hedgehog? It's good to know which one you are, but actually there is a better way, which is the way of love. Knowing which one you are helps you in terms of how you move on, but God doesn't want you to remain that way. He wants you to find the way of love. And when you do find this way of love, when people come to you with conflict, are you willing to go the whole hug? Are you willing to do the step one, step two, and even step three? Because the relationship between you and your brother is so precious to you the relationship between you and your sister is so precious to you you're willing to go the work the whole way shall we pray
Father, we just want to thank you that, that these things are really important for you because you want us to live as much as possible to live at peace and in peace with one another. But we thank you that you don't shy away from conflict and you help us to learn how to do conflict well. So we, we bring ourselves to you today, Lord, and we ask that wherever we have shied away from conflict and we've become people who would rather do anything rather than face conflict, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to do conflict your way, that healthy way that helps us build communities that are strengthened, communities that learn, communities that change, and communities that show other people that there is a better way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Normally, at this point, Casey, if we've got folks who join us for prayers, I think.